0: When you hear the word gangster, one conjures up images of a sharply-dressed Italian mafioso. Smoking expensive cigars and ruling a crew of enforcers with a sublime mixture of class and deadly intention. A man who commands respect on the streets from his community and enjoys a lavish lifestyle from the proceeds of various illegal rackets and extortions. He is bound by the rules of merita and a secret society that is the stuff of cinematic legend. But to an underprivileged Italian kid growing up in Bristol, Connecticut, a membership in the Cosa Nostra is about as likely as a membership into Harvard's fabled Porcelain Club. For this kid, being a gangster isn't about flashy cars, speakeasies, and beautiful women. It's about surviving one more day. Born into the streets of Bristol means being caught between gangs like the Latin Kings, Pump Nation, and the notorious and primarily African-American gang known as 20 Love. For this kid, it means forsaking the traditional memories of a nostalgic Italian neighborhood for a youth encumbered by crime, violent assaults, suicides, and murder. This is the legend of William Stax Pasquarelli.
1: I wouldn't know a gunman if I saw one.
2: The gangster era's gone. of public enemies bring a reign of terror and baffle police. How did this kind famous of gangster treat you? He
1: treated me wonderful.
2: This is what I'm telling you, what I'm exposing. This is my doom, 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 doom.
0: Ree, how long have you been addicted to muscle relaxers? Mm.
1: A few years now.
0: Did I hey. tell you that Gunner asked me if I was in uh, recovery or something on live radio? <laughs> no. Some actors on, and he's talking about the three of us should get together and, and have some whiskeys because it'd be a good conversation, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he goes, uh, Bill, you're not in recovery, are you? <laughs> I started laughing. I go, no. He goes, I don't know, man. You just strike me as somebody who might have some alcohol struggles in the past. <laughs> it's like, and you picked now to ask me. We've had a million conversations in private. <laughs> he goes, oh, I'm sorry. I go, no, I appreciate the concern, but I'm okay. Just between me and you and the city of Detroit? No. Anyway, if we're going to talk about stacks, I was wondering how many people that listen to this realize about the Mob U2 thing that goes on, Uh, MobTube, because you guys really don't follow it too much, right?
1: Correct. I'm starting to get into it, but I don't feel like, you know, before you told me about some of these people, like Stacks, for instance, I didn't know how big it was. It's like a whole community on YouTube. That's the
0: thing. And I, I want to kind of explain that because I think I kind of went forward with the Stax story, assuming that most of the people who listen to our show would know about this whole thing that's going on. And uh, I got a lot of messages like, who is stacks That guy's insane and things like that. I'm like, you don't know stacks So I want to just reiterate, there's a thing on YouTube, a community, and there's guys that do mob interviews for the most part. And they do live shows. And of course, you guys know about Gunner and now you know about Stacks, but they are on literally sometimes every night, you know, and they're doing live shows and sometimes it's just them. Sometimes they've got Larry Maz on or they've got Calandra. Calandra has a show. Uh, Hootie's got a show. JC's got a show. There's a lot of guys, more than I'm probably remembering right now. There's this whole cultural thing going on under the nose, I think, of a lot of people and really cool stuff. They're entertaining and there's what they call beefs. Sorry, I forgot a main guy. His name's the the fat bald Sicilian, and he's very popular. And uh, seems to be a great guy. I don't know him personally, but he seems like a good guy. Yeah, I'd so uh, he... like to meet the fat bald Sicilian. You probably would. Yeah, I think. I like know him. I would. I have
1: no doubt. I would love to meet
0: him. He's married though, so give that up.
1: Well, I am too. So we got that going.
0: Ah, there it's back on. Anyway. They do these shows and stuff, and what's naturally happening is one guy interviews a guy, and then one of them calls BS, and they're calling each other liars, and it's entertaining, you know, to me. And sometimes it gets out of hand, sometimes it gets less than entertaining probably, or just a little bit mean-spirited or whatever. But it's going on, and it's a big deal to dorks like me that watch it, you know? I'm fascinated by it. I can't say I like everything I see, But I like all the guys. I appreciate their work ethic and stuff. And that's kind of what I was referring to at the end of last show. Like these guys put in so much time and they make it look easy. It's not, you know? Uh, I prefer to do things like this where I can edit and take out all the stupid things I say and blah, blah, blah. They're live almost all the time. And it's out there. These guys are very real. Their lives are an open book. And this has been going on. So maybe you check it out. Maybe you like it. Maybe you don't. You know, it's a lot more hardcore than the stuff I'm presenting to you. Because I'm giving you this little story with a little bit of humor, hopefully. And I'm putting it in this nice little package that you can listen to on your way to work or something. It ain't like that. They're telling hardcore stories and they're calling each other out. And God helps somebody if they lie or they exaggerate. They get called out. You know what I mean? So... There's this whole thing going on, and stacks is part of
1: that. No, I, I think you're right. I think a lot of people probably do
0: not know and are not aware of this. Yeah, and maybe it's not their thing, but I, for one, am fascinated and enthralled by all the things that are going on. What else is going on right now as we record this? They're getting over the hurricane that was in New Orleans. Yes. And uh, of course, my friends are in New Orleans, uh, mainly Lisa Lumine. She's a TV personality down there, former traffic girl and stuff. She said it was scary, you know? And she was talking about how the power went out and then the barges broke and they were just hoping the levee holds and uh, junkies running around. I mean, it was really kind of interesting and scary to hear her in the middle of it, you know? But still, being herself, she's so bubbly and entertaining and stuff, and she's still putting that on, you know what I mean? She's dancing around with a bottle of it, just making the best of it. So, anyway, we haven't done a shout-out while, so I thought we could do a shout-out for her. So, uh, yes. re crank it up. Okay, because I want to do a shout-out, too. Well, you're not going to do one, because I just did one. Well, can I do a second one? I don't know, we'll see. What the f- who is it? Who's he, that? he listens to our show. He's a friend. And he's been waiting for the second Stacks show. Okay, fine. He gets it. You win. Thank you. Now, for the Partners in Crime shout-out, Dr. Mike Gilpatrick. Thank you for listening to the show. It means the world to us. Partners in Crime. I'm your host, Bill Crooks, just an ordinary guy, not a thing for you to worry about. Am I right? Zach the Zip Griffith. Glad to be here, Zach. Yep, yep. It's getting to be like work, isn't it?
1: <laughs> Who'd have thought, yeah.
0: Across the virtual way. One of my favorite sisters, Anne-Marie Giuliano. It's a pleasure to be here, isn't it? Well, wow. that's what I thought. And a young man so excited to be part of the show, that he didn't even show up. Joshua the Intern, wherever you are. All right, are we ready for Bill Stacks, part two? This is a great story. I'm upping it every time. There will not be a slow point, so stick with us. Let's get started.
1: After a short lifetime of isolation, bullying, and betrayal, it seems that Stax has finally found a family in the street gang 20 love. The street life is a hostile and dangerous one, but it seems to suit the young recruit perfectly.
2: I strive to be a good gang member. I was basically a criminal, man. Like I was committing crimes, you know, having fun, doing drugs, and not caring about nothing. Not caring about people's feelings or anything. I would tell people how it is, and my mouth got me in a lot of trouble. So one time, we go to a concert, me and my friend John, we go to a Jadakiss concert. He just came out with that song, Put Your Hands Up. My Bristol Ten Pin, it's a bowling alley. So we show up. We're in the front row, right? We're chilling with these dudes. So we smoking weed with Jada Kiss and-, and Sheik Looch and Styles P was there. There was a bunch of gang members there. There was guys from different cities. I was with some guys from Hartford and some other guys from Bristol, New Britain. And this guy with- from Springfield started talking shits And he stabbed one of my friends and he killed him. Stabbed him and, and raped the knife. So the fell out right in the parking lot. It was bad, man. They, they called a helicopter. Helicopter came down. The guy died. So I'm with my friend Toby. He's a young kid. He's about 15 years old. We're stealing cars together. We're really good at it. So we would steal cars and drive around like maniacs, crash them, steal another one, rob houses, rob a store, go eat pizza, jump in the car and take off. That's just what we did every day. And we enjoyed doing it. We would pump the gas. Before you used to be able to pay after. So we would pump the gas, just get in the car and go. And we would do that all day long. And just steal a car from there, go there, steal a car, go there, steal a car. And a screwdriver is all I needed. I could could get any car with a screwdriver. Not the new ones, but mostly any car. So me and Toby, we go to a club. It's called The Stadium. My friend has a gun on him. We're sitting in the club. Toby sees one of our enemies. Now, the enemy he sees are in Pump Nation. Pump Nation and Brotherhood. Uh, Brotherhood's a black gang. Pump Nation's a all race gang. Their colors are green, black, and red. And I think the reason that 20 Love had problems with Pump Nation, because 20 Loves were green and black. And all they did was throw red in it. And we weren't having that. You took our colors, take them down or die. That was the ultimatum. Don't use our colors or we fight you until you're all gone. So that's basically what it was. Um, we had meetings and uh, the big wigs would come down from Hartford and they set a green light on Pump Nation. That means you see them on the street, you smash them. That's it. No questions asked. So we're in the club. We see a ranking member of Pump Nation in the club. So he's like, I'm gonna shoot him right now, bro. I'm like, there's a lot of people in here, bro. He's like, I don't give a We gotta do it, it's green light. We get to do whatever we want. And he's like, I don't like this anyway. So I'm thinking he's joking. I'm thinking we're gonna wait till we get outside to shoot him. He pulls the gun out right in the club and shoots him. Boom! Right in the middle of the crowd everything. He shoots him twice, so he hits him, he goes down. And we go, we take off. We split up. He ends up taking a car to a gas station in Bristol. He gets surrounded by the cops. He's at the pump, cops around him. He ends up blowing his brains out. Kills himself. So that's Toby. So that's one of my brothers dead. And um, he was 14, 15 years old at the time he did this. Or the guy he shot did not die. He's still around.
1: Death is not an isolated event on the streets of Bristol. It's part of the scenery, and it comes in many forms.
2: So, when I was young, I had a girlfriend, and I think I was around 14, 15 years old. You know, I was sleeping with this girl, and I ended up getting her pregnant, and me and her were saying to each other, oh, we we wanna have the baby and all this. And we were kids ourselves, and, um, her parents convinced her to have an abortion, and she called me one day, and she told me she wasn't gonna have the baby. And I like blacked out, and I slipped both my wrists, and I walked down to a, a local food mart down the street from my house, and I was walking through the aisles, and blood was dripping down my hands and I bought a bunch of bottles of NyQuil, and I was gonna drink the NyQuil, and um, when I came outside, her, the girl, and her mother were outside, and they convinced me to get in the car, and they brought me to the hospital. I ended up going to a, a mental institution called Elmcrest. It's been shut down since then because they were restraining a kid, and he ended up dying. There was a lot of kids there from different backgrounds. And um, I was there for about six months. And I remember when they first brung me there, I was around all the adults. For some reason, they kept me around them, and then they put me in the place with all the kids. And you know, there was girls and guys in there. There was the one girl there, I used to sit with her all the time, and she told me that her dad used to rape her and got her pregnant. She was having the baby, and so, While I was in this place, the girl that I was dating came to Elmcrest to visit me, to tell me that she had an abortion. I don't know what in their mind thought it was okay to do that, but they did. And that was that. I tried to run out of there and escape out of there. I remember my mother brought me cigarettes and um, I smoked in the room. And I gave the cigarettes and the lighter back to my mother and the people were searching the room everywhere looking for the stuff, but I already handed it back to her. My mom was, was a G, man. She's uh, helped me out when I was in situations like that. But it's just some of the things that I've seen. So, I mean, that's one of the situations that happened to me when I was younger. I mean, I did it to myself, but, I mean, I'm sure a lot of other people felt the same way I did when I was in that situation. Another time, I was walking home from school with this kid. We got to his house and he went up to the door, he opened the door, and his mother was hanging in the hallway, like the doorway that goes to the kitchen. He started screaming when he opened the door, it was crazy. I remember that day.
1: If you think that better days are ahead for the young gangbanger, well, as usual, you'd be wrong.
2: I'm with all my boys, right? We're getting low on weed. We need weed. So they say, yo, you want to go get some weed over at the building over there on Prospect? I'm like, sure. So I go by myself, take nobody with me. Now usually protocol is you bring another brother with you so that they have your back when you're in the streets, if you have a problem, you're able to stand back to back and handle business. So I didn't do that. I went by myself. Now I have my beads on, right? Green and black beads. They're in a certain order so that they know your rank. Now at this point, I didn't have a rank. I was just a soldier. I would build up a rank though. Right, I knock on this door. I don't know these people, they send me in this direction. They open the door, I'm like, yo, um, you got the weed, uh, some nickel bags or whatever it was I was buying at the time. They're like, yeah, come in. So I go in, I got the beads on, and there's nobody in this apartment. I'm like, okay, I'm good. So they bring me in this back room. I, I open the door, I go in the back room. I'm in there, he's weighing out the weeds, getting ready. I hear voices. So they're getting louder and louder and louder, right? I'm like, who are those voices? So I get my weed, put it in my pocket, I open the door to leave the bedroom. There's 15 Latin Kings in the living room of this house and they know I'm in 20 love. And they got me, they got me. I'm stuck, I got no way to get out. There's no window in this room, there's no nothing. I gotta go through the guys to get out of this apartment. Right when I open the door, my heart drops. I'm like, fuck man, I'm dead, this is it, this is my time. I thought that I was dead, and normally you would be, but I had a couple friends that were in the Latin Kings. If you get to know me, you'll find out that I'm a real loyal guy. No matter what organization you're in, if you're my friend, you're my friend. The minute you disrespect me or cross the line with me in any way, I usually drop people. I won't deal with them no more. So yeah, a lot of people get dropped by me, but. I don't look in the past. I always keep it moving for the future. I get out and I'm cocky with it, right? I got the bees on. i like, I walk out. They surround me. They're threatening me. You doing in here with your bees on, yo? F-ck is that? Tuck them in, motherfucker. Someone says, tuck them in. Someone else says, yo, rip them shits off his neck, bro. Yo, that. Let's throw him off the porch. They say. I'm like, oh shit. And I'm five stories in the air, bro. I'm like. Man, I'm dead. This is it. So I go walk into the door, and they're not letting me out. And they're like in my face. I won't let them touch my beads. You touch my beads, we're fighting. Your beads are your lifeblood. If people touch your beads or disrespect your beads, you have to throw down. If somebody breaks your beads off your neck, that's ultimate disrespect. You kill them. So they tell me tuck the beads in out of respect, right? I tuck the beads in. Tuck him like this. It was a no-win situation. Sometimes you gotta bite the bullet. So I tucked him in, I put him in, right? There's one dude, his name is Jose. You know, if you're out there listening, what up, Jose? I'm glad you're not in the organization no more. You remember that day, I know you do. And um, he uh, saved me out of that situation. He stepped up for me, said, this is my boy nothing's happening to him he was nothing but respectful to you guys let him walk out of here and he told me listen man you did the right thing by tucking in your beads man with me and you you know we're always going to be tight no matter what this gang shit you know we got to do what we got to do but me and you are right here bro so we always been cool we're cool to this day i talked to him a couple days ago So I walk out with the weed, then I go back. I'm like, I got the weed. They're like, oh, yo, what happened, And I'm telling them, they're like, yeah, right. Well, whatever, don't matter. I made it out. Another time, we decide we're gonna go get some shit at the gas station, right? So it's me, and there's a twin brothers. They were from Puerto Rico. Ray and Joel, you know who you are. They were twin brothers from Puerto Rico, really good guys. They were down with 20 Love with me. They came in after me, so I had a little rank on them but I treated everybody as my equal. We're brothers, we're gonna take care of shit together. So, me and the two twins decide we're gonna walk to the store and go get something to drink. So we're walking, a car pulls up. Er, Five guys jump out. They run to us, put up and start fighting. All of us are fighting. I'm talking good fighting. I look over and my boy's standing there with a knife in his hand and I see white feathers everywhere, white. Like, what the f-? And I see blood, and the blood is caked to the knife, and his white feathers stuck to it. Everybody stopped fighting. So I'm like, what the, what's going on, bro? I look over, I see he cut this guy, right here, with the knife, he sliced him right down his chest, all right down his stomach, right through one of those bubble jackets with the feathers in it. So he cut the bubble jacket and he cut him. So he's standing there, he's like, come get it, come get the knife. I'm they there like, what's up, yo, come on. And they're like, yo, drop the knife. And we're like, nah, fuck that, come get the knife. Come bring it. And and they're like, nah, nah. So they all jump in the car and they leave. So I recognize these guys, I know who they are. I know them from high school and shit. So I'm like, we're gonna get them one by one. A Couple of days goes by, we go to leave the apartment again. But now it's me five other guys from different sets. The sets are basically areas that you control. There could be up to five sets in one town. We had sets in New Britain. We had sets in Hartford, Bristol, Plainville, Southington. We had them all in the surrounding areas and around. So we had things pretty much good around here. But if you went one county over and you got arrested and you went to the enemy's prison, you were in trouble you were gonna die, but you were gonna get really hurt. And we always got threats from them people that if they ever caught us in there, if we ever went to their county jail, we were dead. And we knew that.
1: If you're paying attention, despite the violent misadventures of his youth, Stax hasn't really been in a whole lot of trouble with law enforcement. That's about to change.
2: We were constantly stealing cars, doing crazy things. And so this one day, we ended up stealing a car out of this church parking lot. We broke the back window, necked the car. They call it necking the car, cars that have tilt steering. You can put a screwdriver in there, break off the plastic on the tilt steering. the steering column, take a little wire out of there and take this little box out of the steering column and you're able to start the car when you pull the metal piece forward. So we would do that a lot. And we got this car this day, it was a Buick. And it was like one of those old boat cars, you know? So we're driving around Bristol. We drove past the cop. They spun around, turned their lights on and we like fucked out of there. We ended up getting away from the cops that time. So everyone else wanted to get dropped off. So we dropped everyone off. Me and this other dude drove out to East Hartford with the car. We're on the main road in East Hartford. I'm driving at the time. I drive past the cop. I could see staring at me and he sees the back window that's broken. And he immediately turns around. The lights are on. So I take a right off the main road. We were on Burnside Ave in East Hartford. I took a right and looked in my rearview mirror. Cop was coming. So I banged another right and another right. So then I'm on the street going back towards the main street and I look back and the cops are back at me. So I'm coming out to the main road. There's cars stopped at the light. There's cars pulling in so there's nowhere to go. And I see a little opening and I squeeze in between where the cars are pulling in. And it was so tight, the cars were like scraping. So I pull out onto the main road, and I'm driving like a maniac, and I take a right onto the on-ramp. I jump on the on-ramp, and I hit, I believe it was 84, and there's like a junction where it comes to 84, and then it splits off, and it goes towards Providence. There was tons of traffic at the time, and I was weaving in and out of traffic. I was on the left side of the highway, and I ended up going all the way across. It was like five lanes of traffic, probably more. I took the Providence exit, and you know, I was driving, driving. Cops weren't behind us at this time. I ended up pulling over the car and letting this dude drive. He kept asking me to drive, so I pulled over. I let him drive. I was playing with the radio, and he's doing like 60 miles an hour, I didn't have my seatbelt on. I'm playing with the radio, I look up, and he slams the brakes on, and he's going straight towards somebody's ass, and he cuts the wheel to the left. He had his foot on the brake, and he took his foot off the brake, and it just kicked the car to the left lane and we smashed head on to a Volkswagen Golf. And it was a pretty big accident. I got my forehead all cut up with glass, my finger got cut. I looked over and this dude was knocked out and I was panicking. I grabbed the screwdriver. I started grabbing things out of the car. I'm trying to wake this dude up and um, there's a bunch of people that are crowding around the car at the time. So I jump out of the car and I run around to his side. I'm like, come on, man, we gotta go. So. He gets out of the car and we just start walking down the street. And um, all these people are like staring at us as we're walking away. And we just book off into this field and start running. There's like a little bit of snow on the ground at the time. So we're running through the fields and jumping fences. It's like open fields. Cause where we crashed, it was near Danielson, Connecticut. So we trudge through a little stream and uh, I'm soaking wet, I'm bloody. We come up to this farmhouse And this dude's like, I'm gonna kick the door in and grab their keys and so we could get the hell out of here. And I'm like, nah, man. I was like, nah, nah, it's not a good idea. We walk up to this farmhouse and no one's there. I'm knocking on the door and no one's there. And this dude's like, I'm gonna kick the door in. I'm like, nah, man, nah. So we go to the next door neighbor's house and the dude's working on a truck. He's sitting down working on this truck. So I'm like, can I use your phone? I got bit by a dog. He's staring at me, like looking at me all weird. And then I'm like, what the hell's he looking at me like that for? And he's just looking at me weird. And I turn and look and there's a cop with a gun out. And he's like, don't move. Put your hands behind your back. That's one of the first times I got arrested for a stolen car. First they brought me to the barracks out there in Danielson, where the state troopers run that. From there, they brought me to Danielson Court, and I went right to Hartford Correctional Center, the Y.O. Block, and that's where the fun began. The Y.O. Block was hell. I ended up taking the blame for the stolen car, the dude that I got caught with, my co-defendant. He was like 24 years old at the time, and I took the blame. So I ended up doing a little bit of time on that one. I got bonded out after doing about 30 days, I think, and then from there, I was catching more cases, catching more cases. So this time, I'm in jail, right? I'm in Hartford Corrections. They put me in the youth block, and people are telling me, yo, if you go to Little Cheshire, you better watch out. They're going to they'll kill you there. You're a white boy. like, a, I'm like, man, I, I'm scared as hell at this point. I end up doing about a few months there, about three months, and I get out, right?
1: So if you think that a kid in this much trouble would lay low until the heat died down a little bit, well, think again.
2: When I first went to court, I tell the bonds lady, she's supposed to help you now, right? And I tell her, suck my d-. My mother's like, she was trying to help you. Why would you say that someone's trying to help you? And I, I didn't know, I thought she was a prosecutor. So I made a mistake, man. They made me go to jail for that. So that was the first time I really spent time in there. My mother and stepfather sent me to live with my grandmother in Bethlehem, New Hampshire. So I go up there, I'm wilding out, stealing stealing of cigarettes from the store, I'm going to steal shit from the package store. Stole a little gun from the antique store. I was doing crazy shit, man. They were like, we can't deal with this kid. (laughs) And they just drove me back and dropped me off. And I was like, good. I wanted to be dropped back off. So I get in trouble with the gun and all that. My mother bonds me out. $10,000 bond, right? So I know that time's coming. I'm going to prison soon. My first offer is 25 years. And I'm like, nah, I ain't taking that. They're like, well, if you lose trial, you're gonna get a lot more than that. So you gotta start thinking what you're gonna do. So you know, time's ticking by, I'm going to court and shit. I'm like, it, I get the bright idea. I'm gonna commit another robbery while I'm out on bond. So I get a bunch of guys together and these guys are from the other gang that I used to not like, but I grew up with these kids, so I know them. Pump Nation and Brotherhood, black and Puerto Rican guys. And they got a couple white people Brotherhood's mainly black, but uh, Pump Nation's pretty much all racist. So I have a Mossberg pump and I give these guys a bunch of guns, a bunch of revolvers and little dumb shit. We call up this girl. She has no clue what the hell is going on. We don't tell her nothing. Jump in the car. I got these guns in a bag, like a military bag. Got masks and shit, but we don't have them on. But we're like, don't tell nothing to this girl. Don't say nothing. We're gonna have this guy knock on the door. This is what's gonna happen. Blah blah blah. Follow the lead. So we pull up to the house, I get the guy out the car, we put the mask on, I get the guns out and the guns, and this is on a main f-ing road man, and the dude knocks on the door, he's got no mask or nothing, they go, who is it, he says his name, and they open the door, boom, bust in the door, and I'm pointing the gun at everyone, get on the ground, there's gas there, They're all smoking weed. They're like, oh my God, there's a bunch of chicks, there's a bunch of dudes in the house. I make them all lay on the ground. I'm like, don't fucking move. None of you fucking move around, fucking kill all of you. So I'm searching around the house for money and drugs. I got these guys, I'm like, go in this room, look here, go there, look there. And I run into the other room where the main guy is. And I run in there and he's on the phone, sitting on the bed and i run in i grab the phone from i rip it out of the wall and i butted him with the gun he fell under the bed i said where's the money at and he's like i don't know what you're talking about he's all up and i open up he has a tape deck like a cassette player shit. and i don't know what made me do it but i pressed the eject button on the tape deck and the thing popped open and a lot of money was in it And i'm like yo you lying to me bro and i ripped the shit out and smashed the radio and I hit him again with the Ooh. gun and then I lifted up the mattress there was 20 drugs under there I scooped all of it up and I left and as I'm leaving the house a rottweiler comes up to me fucking Doverman picture I'm like fuck it, man the dogs are gonna fuck me up so I'm going to leave and, and the dog comes up to me and I'm waiting for it to bite me right and I leave my hand down to pet it and I got gloves and a mask on and the dog starts licking me on my leg <laughs> We run out to the car, right? My boy opens the car, we jump in the car. We still got the mask on, I got the gun in my hand, and I got all the drugs in the bag. She's like, what the is this? And I'm like, shut the up and drive, go, go, go. And she takes off, she's tailing everywhere. She's a young girl, she had no clue what was going on, man. She seen the guns and shit, she was shocked. So we have her bring us back to the place where we divvy up all the shit, and then we all go about our business. I'm not staying at my house with my mom at this point. I got into a fight with my stepfather and I punched him in the face. They were chasing me around. I was out on bond at the time. And they were chasing me around the town trying to get me in the car because they didn't want me to run on the bond. They didn't know I was going to go to court. I planned on going to prison. That was my plan. You get stripes when you go to prison. So that, that was my whole outlook on life. I didn't think I was going to live to be 15. I didn't think I was going to live to be 20. When I became 20, I didn't think I was going to live to be 25. You know, it's like a cycle. That's how I always thought. By this point, I ended up getting into a fight with my dad, my stepfather. I call him dad, but he was very abusive when I was young. He beat me as a baby. It was bad, man. One time I woke up, he beat me so bad that I woke up and I couldn't feel my leg from the waist down. Couldn't move. Paralyzed, cause he hit me so hard, and he's like, "We're going to the beach today. We're going to Rockwell Park." I was like, "I can't move my legs." He's like, "Get in the car," and I'm like, "I can't move. I can't f-ing move." And he picked me up and threw me in the car, drive to the beach, and he picked me up and he threw me in the water. I can drag myself out onto the sand, Laid there, and then finally my feelings started coming back. It was crazy, man. I dealt with oh, shit like okay. that, you know, growing up. And I still got love for this guy, man. Still got love for him. It's crazy. When I was in the gang, the vice president was my best friend, Damon, okay? And his girlfriend's name was Belinda. And Belinda had a little crush on me and I had a little crush on her, but that was my boy's girl, I never messed with her. So there was a rumor going around that I was with Belinda, right? The rumor gets back to my friend Damon and he calls a meeting, but he doesn't call a meeting with the top dudes and the organization. He just takes it upon himself to call a bunch of dudes that that he chills with. So they all get together and they lure me to the park in the premise that these women are gonna be up there and we're gonna meet these chicks. So I'm thinking nothing of it. I get out the car, I'm walking up this trail and there's about eight guys there, eight guys and me. So the one dude turns around and snuffs me in the face, man. I had no clue it was coming. So I post up, I start fighting. Ah! was overpowered. They f- me up bad. Really bad. Stomping my head into the ground. One guy was holding my leg up while the other guy was stomped trying to break my leg. I was just defending myself as much as I could. And I could only do so much, man. And they f***ed me up. I looked like purple elephant man after. My ears were purple. My face was purple. And uh, they broke my ribs. It was bad, yo. Because, like, I- I've been on the edge of death so many times. It's just like... It's just, it just gets normal, man, Do a living like a crazy maniac. My my friends, my supposed friends, traumatic, and uh, it, it happened a bunch of times like that. You know, it wasn't the only time I got up, man. It was a lot. One time I was walking over from the bar, and two guys pull over. They're yelling shit, right? One guy drives with the car and drops off another guy in front of me, and the other guy yelling shit, so I'm like trying to find what one I'm gonna up first, right? And I picked the wrong guy, bro. Because I go to fight him, and the other guy comes at me and smashes me with a brick. He hit me right in the face, man. Busted my eye from here, all the way through my shit, all the way to here. See, I had plastic surgery on my shit. He split my eye so hard right there that it split this side of my eye. You See that little line? I got hit another time in my eye right here. I had plastic surgery on this eyelid. That's why I have a droopy eye. So what happens next is I pick myself up and I walk to my brother's house. He doesn't recognize me when I knock on the door. His girlfriend drives me home. I sleep that shit off, right? A couple days later, the girl shows up at my house, that Belinda, and she goes, these guys want to have a meeting with you. And I had a gun pointed out the window. If you step any closer, I'm going to kill you. And she was trying to talk to me like, listen, these guys want to talk to you. They're sorry for what they did. They were going to make it up to you. But I thought she's f-ing lying. They're trying to kill me, man. So she says, you could bring a gun with you and you could kill them all if you want. So that's what I did. I brought a gun with me and I went to the meeting. And I show up at the meeting and the one that i proposed under is there, the Tretch. And all these guys from Harvard, a higher up level, right? And uh, they have a meeting, and they say that, that what they did to me was up. They're going to sanction everybody that was involved. So they make everybody that was involved, they, they let me pick who bounces who. That means when you catch a bounce, you got to put your hands up against the wall, and you got two guys in back of you, and they get to punch you in your ribs and your stomach for 20 seconds at a time. And if your hands get dropped, you got to lift your hands back up. And if you can't take it, you got to get the out of here. That's how they do it. And I made a count. I made the other people that weren't involved do it to them people. It was good, man. I got my shit in. At the end of the meeting, I told them, "I'm done, man. I'm walking away from this. I don't want to be involved with any of this shit no more." And but they liked what I was doing. They let me walk. But I had problems throughout prison and all this other shit. We we're, were all kinds of different organizations. I've been approached by different organizations to join. But 20 Love is the only organization that I full-fledged became a member. I ended up leaving and never joining another gang or organization again. And um, I just started doing things for myself.
1: Incredibly, Mr. Pascarelli apparently has one more robbery to get out of his system.
2: Um, I get to my friend's house and he tells me, yo, there's this guy that owes me money for a bunch of weed and he has a bunch of weed at his house I want to go get it. I said, all right, bro. But if if I go with you and I give you this gun, then you gotta take responsibility if we get caught with this shit. He says, yes, I'll take responsibility. So I give him the gun. I have camouflage on and shit. I'm dressed like a Marine and shit, man. So we get to the house. I'm drunk, right? We drank a bottle of E&J. He's knocking on the door. The lady opens the door, the kid's mom and she sees the gun sticking out of his pocket. She starts screaming, trying to push the door shut. So he's trying to push the door open. I'm like, fuck that, man. I'm trying to push the door open, too. But there's some other guys and shit in there trying to push the door shut, right? It's a big struggle and shit. And then we end up just saying and leaving, right? So when we turn around, we go to walk out the building. We walk outside. The cops are like, don't move. And I'm like, this, and I start running. So he starts running, too, with the gun. We run around the house. There's a moped back there, right? And it's idling. I'm like, that. I try to make it go. It won't go. So I just throw it down. They charged me with that shit, too. Stealing that shit. And all I did was try to make it go. They charged me with stealing a moped, too. We get around the building, and we run down in the projects. He lives in the projects. We run down the stairs. We fly down on my ass and shit. I open the door. run in. I start throwing shotgun shells in the couch. He runs in the door, throws the gun behind the door, he closes the door, he's trying to hold it shut. And I'm tucking shells in the couch. The cops bust the door open, and they're like, don't f-ing move, and I'm dropping shells on the ground. And then they found the gun, they handcuffed us, they were being assholes, they called the feds there. The feds were trying to get me to talk about where the gun came from, why would serial numbers scratched off, and I didn't tell them nothing about what I had going on. It's no joke, especially a you sawed off shotgun trying to get into someone's house, really no joke. They write up a big ass article about me. Fast forward, I end up going to prison. I end up pleading out second degree burglary, hindering prosecution for the shotgun shells, and a whole bunch of other charges, a lot of a lot of felonies. And I ended up getting 24 months, I believe. They gave me six months for the stolen car that I got called with the other guy. And they attached the case to that one. So the kid that I got caught with, he told them that it wasn't his gun. so. Obviously, that's a problem for me. So I said, it's not his gun, but it's not my gun. I'm not gonna tell you it's his, but it's not mine. That's exactly how I left it, exactly what it was. So I ended up pleading guilty to that shit, and I think I got two years for that, and I got six months for the car. And the kid that I was with got 18 months. I uh, ended up going in, and I was no longer affiliated with the gang, but I had a lot of people that respected me because of the things I did and they knew I wasn't a punk. Fast forward, or right, I go to Hartford, and then they're telling me in there, don't go to Little Cheshire, you go to Little Cheshire, you're gonna be in big trouble, man. You're gonna have a lot of problems. You're, you're gonna regret ever doing anything wrong. And where do I go? You're going to Little Cheshire, stacks.
1: Much like the first day of school, the first day of prison can be, well, an adjustment.
2: So I end up going into six Cell in D Cottage. I'm in D Cottage, and when I'm in there the first night, a bunch of people are yelling. You can hear people yelling, I'm walking in with my shit. We're going to kill the white boy in six Cell, they say. And my bunkie's black, so I'm dead. So I start sharpening a toothbrush. I'm like it, man. So now, this is weird about me, okay? I always need permission from my mother to do violent shit. If I'm in a situation like I'm in prison, I'm not gonna just lash out at people for no reason. I'm not gonna be the aggressor. And if my mother gives me the okay, then okay, then I'll do it. I didn't get the okay yet. So these guys are saying they're gonna do shit to me. And I'm like, F- that, I'm gonna do something first. So I sharpen in the toothbrush and they're talking shit all night to me. I'm not saying nothing back. I'm being quiet because I know what I'm gonna do. They pop the door in the morning and I'm looking around like, what's up? Where you at? And no one approaches me. Nothing, no one comes at me. I don't even know who said it. There's so many people, I don't know who said it. So what am I gonna do? Go out there and say, who the fuck said it? I don't know anybody there. I just got there, you can't do shit like that. I go up, I get my meal. They make you stand in line and, you know, you grab your tray and they make you sit, sit, sit and fill up the table. You sit, you sit. So these guys been in there for a long time. So they had the order that they went by. I I had no clue. I was just new. I just got there. So this guy comes up and goes, get up. And I go, "Uh, no, I'm not getting up. You. And I just kept eating. And that was a mistake I made, turning my back on someone like that. Not paying attention to me, if you know, I didn't think he was gonna do nothing. And he hit me in the back of the head with his tray. And then we started fighting. Everybody started fighting, whole place. It was a big melee, pretty bad. The fight happens, I go to SAG. You know, I'm uh, fighting every chance I get. I come out of the cell, they talk shit, yeah, fight. Fighting, 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 constantly. They, they're keeping me away from people. So I spent some time in SAG by myself with nothing. No commissary, no books, no nothing. You just sit there and stare at the wall. The light's on 24 hours a day. They feed you in the cell. You get out for 15 minutes. That's it. They bring you out handcuffed every time. It sucks, man. And it's lonely. All together, maybe six months, maybe. But it wasn't, wasn't all at the same time. It was like different times, you know, week here, week here, week here. Because they used to give you like a week seg. if you got caught fighting, you get seven days. If you stabbed somebody, you would get 30 days. You know, if it was bad, you'd get longer. It depends on what you did. One time, my mother called there and she was scared I was going to kill myself. So she told them that. And they put me in the crazy part of the jail. And I had to deal with that shit. I seen people get their roads cut there. I saw a guy had shit wiped all over his face, craziness. These people are crazy, man. I was about 17. So in Connecticut, back then, you're legally an adult at 24. So they got kids in there inside Little Cheshire from age 14 to 24, 10 years span. And these kids are not kids, bro. They're not, they're superhumans. And they're all killers. Like I was around one kid that stabbed his family with a samurai sword, killed them all. I was with another kid that went into a club and shot everybody Penn up the crowd. There was people that killed their own parents. But inside the Little Cheshire, they did not tolerate sex offenders. They would smash them on site, And I like to beat up sex offenders in jail. I dislike people that will ruin a child's life, man. It really bothers me. It was brutal in there, terrible, man, fighting every day. So one time I show up to visit my mom. I got a black eye. She's like, what happened? I'm like, nothing. I just got into a little fight. And she's like, Bill, when you get that lump in your throat, when these dudes talking shit, and doing this, she's like, swallow that lump and just smash him. I'm like, all right. So that's all I needed, man. I look over in the back of me and I see a guy. One of the instigators. So the visit ends. My mom gets up and walks out. Right when the door shut, I catch him. Right, I got him, good man. So I'm fighting every day, fighting every day. And they call my mom and say, "We gotta do something because this is getting out of hand. This kid's not stopping. He's fighting, fighting, fighting." So they, she said, "Give him an incentive. Like give him something. Maybe it'll help." So they decided they're gonna give me a job in the laundry room in the main prison. So I get to get out. I get to get out of my cell, walk around, and go to the main building. It's like uh, your name tags with inmate number. I would press them in this machine, push it down, and it locks. And it heats up. And there's gangs controls this whole whole jail, right? So I'm working in there, working for about a month or something. And all these kids come in, they come to me, and they go, "Stacks, go go watch the door." I don't got nothing. They kept asking me to be down with them, but I was always like, nah, I'm by myself. So I'm watching the door. They grabbed this kid and they put his hand inside the machine and they locked his hand in it. It's heating up and he's screaming. There's no cops in there. Dryers are going. It's loud, you know what I'm saying? Man, I felt so bad. Like some of the things they did to some of these kids, it was bad, man. So I get into a fight with my celly, right? I'm working in there after the dude gets burnt and shit. They're investigating that. Nothing ends up happening. I get back to the cell block where we sleep, workers for the clothes. And uh, I have a cellie's from Waterbury. I don't wanna say his name. I just don't like the kid. I, I I get my TV, right? I'm like mad happy. I got my TV, but I got like a year left, and I, but I'm happy. I got my TV, bro. And I didn't have a TV this whole time. So I set up my TV and shit, and my mother, she paid the bond, 10000 and then she paid my lawyer, and then she paid all this um, canteen money, like commissary. So when you go in there, you put a little bit of money every week. So I was spending $75 a week on food. Every week, I was paid the full amount, $75, $75, $75. Every week, I had mad shit, yo. No one was me, I wasn't getting robbed. I would always fight over my shit. You know what I'm saying? There was sometimes people try to steal from me, and I end up fighting, and whatever happens. People stole letters from me. I end up fighting. A couple times, they got me good, bro. Like, I thought I was gonna be done, so, but it, it didn't end up happening. Like, I got poked in the back a couple times. I got stabbed on the side right here. I got sliced with a razor blade. This dude hit me with a piece of metal, like this big, and it punctured my lung right here. So I'm in the cell with this dude, and I set up my TV, right? And it's the weekend, so we don't got to work or nothing. I jump on my bed, and I'm watching Jerry Springer. He's on the bottom bunk. He gets up, and he changes his channel. And I'm like, yo, what are you doing, bro? I jump down, because we didn't play like that. Don't play with me. If I don't play with you, don't play with me. So I jump down. like, bro, don't touch my shit, yo. So I change it back, and I jump back on the bed. He gets up, and he changes it again. And I jump down, I'm like, bro. So I change it back, right? And I'm like, bro, what the f- is wrong with you, yo? So now I'm starting to get mad. Like Now now you're like crossing the line, you're touching my shit. I tell him, don't touch my shit, yo. He gets up and tries to change it again. I jump down. When I jump down, I put my shoes on, right? And he runs to the door and he's looking to where the guard is. When he does that, I run, I jump off the toilet and I grabbed him by the throat. And I start choking him. And he slams me into the, the metal bump, the railing. And he's slamming my back into the railing. And he's slamming, slamming me against the railing. I'm squeezing, squeezing. And can I made him pass out. Bam! So he's passed out, right? And I'm holding him. And it, and he starts coming to again. And I start squeezing him. And I'm like, you're going to stop, motherfucker!" And I'm squeezing him. And I make him pass out again. And I did it like 10 times to him. By the time I let him go, he was like, what happened? What happened? But the guards like heard some of the commotion, right? So when they came running, they seen like we had marks and shit. So they do an investigation. They like check you and shit. And they put us both in seg, right? So I'm looking out the door and he's directly across the hall from me. There's a little square window. I'm like, yo, what the bro? I thought me and you were right here, bro. And the guards saw me do this. The gang task force, affiliated me with 20 love in prison and i have nothing to do with 20 love bro you know my background with them i don't want to be down with them i'm done with them so they transfer me to a gang prison and my birthday's coming up it's like in a week or something so they go stacks you're getting transferred and i don't want to get transferred i'm used to little chester now i like it there now i want to stay and that's crazy for me to even think like that is crazy So they bring me there and it's bad. Security up the ass, man. I'm shackled handcuffs on the bus with a bunch of dudes. They pull up to the prison. It's big. It's like a super fortress. New facility when I got there. You know, it was concrete, steel, and glass, man. That big plexiglass shit. And they had courtyard. Their wreck yard was uh, just top. You could see the sky. And everything else was cement and barbed wire. And that's it. You couldn't see no trees. It was nothing but cement. Bob Wire and Sky. It was called Gardner CI, and it has a gang program in there. You would have to go in it for 18 months. The first couple months, they would put you in a cell with your own gang member. The next couple months, they put you in a cell with the rival gang member, and they see if you're gonna kill each other. I don't know what the f their premise is behind this, but it's bad, bro. They ended up getting closed down of the gang prison because they were just doing some grimy shit there. It's going to get pretty crazy on this one, bro. I go in there. I walk in with my shit and they know I'm not in a gang. Gang task force guy. I tell them the story about me. You know, you can't really get involved into details about shit. They don't know I was involved the way I was and they don't know shit. I play it off like I'm a white boy from Bristol and I don't know nothing. I'm not about that. I'm about me. I'm not about any organization, man. So they leave me in seg for a few days because my birthday isn't up yet. I'm not 18 yet. They can't put me in cell with a grown man. I'm in the cell by myself and I'm supposed to start the gang program. So the guy comes downstairs and he interviews me. He's asking me all this shit and they determined that they're gonna put me in general population in this place. It was a B Block. B Block and G Block were lifers and the rest of the blocks were gang blocks. They transferred me 2B block. So I get there, I'm pushing the cart, and I'm looking, and it's f-ing scary, bro. It looks like Oz. There's cells on the top row, and then there's stairs and cells on the bottom row. And then there's a bubble, there's a wooden desk, it's round in the middle with two officers in there. So you gotta get buzzed into the pod, and then you go down the stairs, and the door slam, boom! <laughs> and you can hear echoes. And it's just an intimidating sound. It's an intimidating place. And so I walk in there and everyone's looking at me. And all these people have over 40 years of life, 20 years, 40 years, 60 years life. They're never coming home. And this place is loaded with them. There's nobody in there with my kind of time. And I'm like shocked that I'm even in this place. The reason they bring me in this place is because of my background with the gun. And the home invasion. That solidified my spot in a violent place, you know? So, you know I'm getting through it. Christmas time rolls around, right? My whole family orders me every Christmas package on the menu. And it's eight Christmas packages. They're like 160 bucks a piece. My family thought it would be okay to get me every Christmas package. And that's like specialty items that lifers don't get all the time. And they're buying me all of them. So now, what do you think's going to happen? I come rolling back with my cart full. It's bulging over. Yo, they see money signs on me, bro. And I'm walking, and I've loading the shit in my cell, putting all the boxes in. All of a sudden, I turn around. There's a big black dude standing at my cell. His name's Pookie. He's like, big, bro. And he's mean looking. He goes, I want a bag of food at my cell before Rex done. And I'm like, no, you ain't getting shit. And I slam the door in his face. And the door locked. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm dead. I'm like, I got to get the shank man. I got to kill this guy first. So I'm scared, terrified of this guy, right? And this is the end of the night, the last wreck. The next morning comes around and they call us. And they call Stax, Pookie, at the same time. And I'm like, this is a setup. I'm like, this is it, yo. They're gonna fucking kill me. And they, they want the shit. What, they're not getting it from me. But this is it. Because I don't know nothing. I'm brand new at this place. This is some fucked up shit, bro. I end up going. And I walk up the stairs. And I get to the door. And it's glass window and a metal door. And then a glass room. Pookie's in there. And I get locked in with him. It's me and Pookie. There's no one around. And I'm like, oh shit, man. I'm scared, bro. I'm getting ready to fight. The other door opens. He starts walking, I just follow him. And I'm like, thinking, this guy's like leading me somewhere to kill me, man. He's gonna bring me to a closet or something. We come up, he p- goes into office. I look in, there's a cop in there. So I, I walk in, and they're like, uh, hey Stax, we're hiring you for the kitchen. Pookie's your uh, supervisor. I'm thinking he's gonna kill me, y'all. He could rip my head off, he's that big, bro. So we start walking back to the block, right? Me and Pookie started talking and I tell him about Tretch and yo, I got proposed by Tretch. And he's like, I'm down with 20 Love. I know all these guys. And I'm like, "Word." So we started naming dudes and, and we knew all the same people. We ended up being tight. We ended up working together. We ended up being cool with each other. It's crazy how things happen, man. We became friends, man, really good friends. He knew I was a young kid. He knew I was on my own. He knew what it was. He knew I wasn't scared, yo. So he was riding with me, he was my boy. So I'm gonna tell you this story about Pookie, though. He taught me a very valuable lesson, man. One day, we get called to go to work, and me and Pookie are chilling. I'm working in the Scully, you know? That's where uh, the inmates put their tray when they're done with the food. So I'm like, Pookie, I was walking by a cell the other day, bro, and I saw this dude f- another dude in the ass, man. And he's like, yeah, yo, that shit happens here, bro. They're lifers, yo. Dudes do that shit especially guys that got life and he goes, you just gotta deal with it don't look in people's cells and shit and I'm like, bro, that shit will never happen to me, bro I said, they'll have to rape my dead body and he goes, yeah, yeah he goes, alright so, uh, I'm chilling, right he goes, yo, go go grab me the gloves out that uh, thing over there so I go to grab the gloves and I grab the thing, right and he fucking, all these dudes grab me, yo Four dudes grabbed me, yo. They had my arms, my legs, they had my whole body. I could not move. I'm struggling, trying to get out. They're holding on to me. He comes up and goes, yo, you still think it can't happen? And I'm like, yeah, it could happen, it could happen. And then they let me go. The lessons you learn, the lessons you learn, man. Uh, The gang members, we're feeding them. So we feed the whole prison. So the gang members have to get up and put their trays in there and they're flinging them in there. Like they're throwing them. So they're flying through the scully and they hit one of the guys back there. Me and uh, this other guy I used to deal with, his name is Chase. He was a big ass dude too, he was down too. But he was down with Nation I think, or Brotherhood. So um, we end up throwing the trays back, big melee happens, big fight and shit. Another time we're on our way to Chow cause we still gotta walk down the Chow Hall. But you gotta walk in single file, right? You gotta be quiet, you gotta keep your head down like this, and you just walk with your hands behind your back, right? And so we're walking to the town hall, and there's this guy, he had a tattoo done on his arm, it said Thug Life, and uh, the cop's walking on the side of him, and the cop's looking, and the cop goes, oh, you got Thug Life tattooed, uh, you just got out of SAG, I see that, huh? You think you're a thug? Think you're a f- badass, huh? And the guy's just sitting there, he's, and he's a chubby white kid, bald head. He looks like a serious dude. I don't know, you couldn't really tell. His head head down, his hands behind his back. The guard's talking shit. All of a sudden, the guy grabs the guard by the face, and he f- pulls his face to him, and he bites a chunk right out of his cheek. He bit the chunk and spit it at him. His bloods all over. He goes, you think I'm a thug now, motherfucker? And dude's screaming, yo. You can see his teeth. And the cop's screaming, and he's like, ah! So the door's locked. Fing alarm starts going off. The goon squad comes. All of us are up against the wall. He's coming at the cop. There's blood everywhere. People are slipping in the cop's blood. It was crazy, man. When the goon squad comes in, they handcuff everybody. They end up doing an investigation. He gets in bad trouble for that shit. That was in the newspaper and the news and shit. That happened in 98. They were in the news and the newspaper every week, man. So one night I hear screaming. I'm like, what the fuck is that, yo? It's like 3 in the morning. It's quiet in the lifer block. You don't hear nothing. You don't hear a pin drop. Unless there's something going on. So I hear all this commotion. I look out the cell. I see the cops drag a dead body with a sheet tied around the neck. Drag it out in the middle of the floor. They bring the cellmate handcuffed. I'm looking out and I'm like, what the He killed his cell, he strangled him with a sheet, tied around his neck. The guy that killed him was a lifer. The guy that he killed had like the same amount of time as me. It's crazy though. Dude was about to go home and he got killed. They said he killed him because he farted while he was eating. That's why he killed him. I'm lifting weights at this point. I'm getting big, bro. When I got out of prison, I was 230 pounds and I'm 5'4". So you can imagine how big I was. I was big, bro. Like, when I first went to jail, I was getting pushed around and shit, you know? I didn't know nothing. By the time I left, people were getting out of my way. And I liked it.
1: The only thing that can get you through incarceration is hope. Hope for an early release. Hope to start a new life. Or hope to finally be free to accomplish childhood dreams.
2: This is around the time Eminem came out. We're rapping. I was rapping since at 10 years old. And someone said, yo, you hear this dude? His name's Slim Shady, he's nasty. And I'm like, nah, I never heard of it, bro. And he played it for me, I was like, this mother made it before me. I'm like, I'm stuck here, I can't even make it. I can't do shit. Yo, that's how I really thought when I heard of Eminem. I'm like, he took my spot, fucking asshole. So I'm, I'm down at the weights. All of a sudden I hear a commotion. I look over this one guy slashed another guy in the face with baby oil bubbling baby oil when he did that the other guard went like this and it wiped all of his skin off yo now when that happened the guard comes and another guy grabs that guard and slams him on the ground ddt'd him right and now that guard's down and the other guard starts running Another guy steps in, clotheslines that guard. So both guards are knocked out on the ground. The Muslims attack 20 Love. They start stabbing this one guy. Two guys are hitting him with an adapter in the sock and stabbing him. His name Tope. He's from uh, Waterbury. He was in there for shooting somebody in the head over a car radio or some shit. They were stabbing Tope. Cause Tope was like 6'4", maybe 3-something. He was the biggest dude i ever seen in my life. Bro. And they were stabbing the f*** out of him. And he wasn't even flinching. Yo, he's like, get off! He just pushing him like this. Nice, put the knife in him. And the other guy's hitting him with a lock in the side. I'm watching this shit like, holy shit, that's happening over here. They're fighting over here. It's like crazy melee. F- riot fires in there and shit. So I know I'm not gonna eat nothing. I'm not gonna be able to get nothing. I got to try to get to my cell without getting up. So now I'm at the wait station. I got to make my way to the stairwell and go off my cell. It's like right here. Like, I could see it, but I can't get to it. Me and him just edged our way to the cell and protected each other. And uh, we made it to the cell, locked ourselves in, and waited for it to be over. They end up taking Pookie, all these guys. All of them get shipped out. They do a big investigation. They put us on lockdown for a month, no running water, no shower, nothing. In the cell for a month with nothing. And shit, piss, in the toilet, you don't get to flush it, nothing. And you got to sit in that cell. So we had these cardboard things, we made these lids, and we put them over the toilet. There was nothing you could do about it, bro. you stuck in there. They didn't give a shit. All you had was whatever commissary you had stacked up. Didn't take us outside, nothing. They let us take a shower after about three weeks it was like they were paying us back for what happened so they started giving us food they would feed us in the cells we weren't able to go eat no more nothing we were done no more privileges no more working in the kitchen nothing we gotta go back to doing a hard time now because when you're in the kitchen and you're chilling working your time's breezing by man you're just chilling you know i didn't get any tickets or anything from that from the riot, so I didn't do nothing. I, I tried to avoid all the trouble during that because I knew I was going home soon. So Ivory gets transferred and goes home, right? I'm sitting in my cell and my cellmate sparks up a joint smoking it. It's like, stacks. you want to smoke? Like, I want to smoke, but I'm like, I have a feeling, no. No, I don't, I don't want to smoke. So he's like, all right, man. And he's like, you sure? Yeah, I, I don't want to smoke, bro. The next day, they call me down to the AP room and say, take this urine. So I take the urine they say you made parole, you leave. Right now, we'll pack your shit. So yo, if I would've smoked that joint, I would've been staying in jail. I worked on getting my high school diploma when I was in prison. I tried to do things to better my life, you know what I mean? I, I mean, that wasn't the end of everything because things got really crazy after that. I went in and out of prison for a lot of different things, but we'll get to that with another thing, man. And That's what I got for you, bro. So we're gonna end the
0: story here uh, tonight. I wanted to get this done in one, but it would be two hours, and I kind of sifted through to see if there was enough left to do another episode. And it's completely insane. If this episode seemed kind of wild, this next one is twice as wild. It's just unbelievable the things that happen. And like I said, it gets very dark, kind of depressing. But I think for most people, the people that listen to this show, it's a taste of a life or a glimpse into a life you probably knew nothing about. What did you guys think about the uh, kid that smoked the joint? Was he trying to set him up?
1: Yes. Uh, it, seemed, it seemed like it. It seemed like a little bit.
0: Yeah, me too. It seemed like he was trying to, like, like who knows why. You know, but somebody was trying to punk him. That's again. what I was
1: trying to figure out.
0: Why? Uh, you know, Gunner said that in prison. He goes, when you're getting down to your last few weeks, there's just douchebags that want you to not get out. You know, they don't want to see you happy. And he's like, they would pick fights with him and stuff and try to get him sucked into something. Believe it or not, not everybody has your best interest at heart. You know, that's just a sad Especially fact. in prison especially in prison. Uh, something else I wanted to talk about. A lot of the things I'm doing, we're talking about me being busy and stuff. I want to make sure people check me out if they can. I'm doing a wise guys Wednesdays with Gunner. It's on Gunner's YouTube channel. If you look up Gunner Detroit on YouTube, you'll see it. We do wise guys Wednesdays where we talk live for about an hour and it's not gang stuff. We're talking about who knows what. It could be political. It could be just motivational. It could just be any topic that comes up or that people want to discuss. And it's pretty cool. There's a chat goes up. So you can type in and communicate with us as we're doing the show. And we can read your comments and stuff like that. So check it out if you can. And uh, also, of course, I do the Friday night radio show with Gunner. And you can get that on iHeartRadio. It's on 9:10 a.m. Detroit Superstation. From 7 to 9, I usually jump in around 8 o'clock. And that is gangster stuff. It could be biker clubs. It could be mafia. It could be Sicilian stuff going on. It's, it could be anywhere globally. All right. So with that, it's late. We're going to say good night. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night, and God bless. Thank you for listening to Partners in Crime. This week's episode is an adaptation of several different historical accounts. Music is courtesy of Kevin McLeod. All sources and attribute links can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Partners in Crime Podcast. Links are in the show notes. If you didn't like the show, keep your mouth shut. No one likes a rat.